0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the 7th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 18th verse. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who has to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, The dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sing a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he has a demon." The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's return to the scripture that we read just a few moments ago with Lake Neal. From Luke chapter 7. If you're visiting this morning, we have been in a study in the gospel according to Luke. Obviously, we are in the seventh chapter. In the message last week, we began to deal with the first part of what we read from verse 18 through verse 23, where John the Baptist, the baptizer's disciples, came uh, with a message from John and asked a question. Uh, Are you really Messiah or should we look for another? And John was asking this question in real doubt uh, because he was in Herod's prison. He'd been in prison for seven months. He was the ambassador of the Messiah and he expected Jesus to come and take the power and reign. But that was not happening. Uh, He didn't know what the Messiah had really come to do. And we looked at that and we talked about our own doubt uh, and the difference between doubt and faith or doubt and unfaith. There is a difference. If you were not here, uh, you uh, go back and listen to that message and it will tie uh, in with the message uh, that uh, we have this morning. Uh, We take up after John's disciples left to return to give him this magnificent answer by Jesus Uh, John turns to the crowd or Jesus turns to the crowd and begins to talk to the crowd about John, the baptizer. These are very, very interesting. It is, this is a really intriguing, uh, message that Jesus gives the crowd here and one that we desperately need to hear. Uh, I'm sure that you remember, uh, that I think it was back in 2013, uh, four years ago, uh, that we looked at this passage. And so if some of this message sounds familiar, uh, that means that uh, you're really listening because uh, you've heard part of this message before. And I was really tempted because of that, uh, knowing that you all would remember every word from four years ago, uh, I was tempted to skip over it. But this is a message that the church needs to hear. All churches need to hear it. And it needs to be ingrained into the church and how we look at each other and how we look at other Christians. Before we look in depth in this passage, let's pray together. And ask Jesus who was there this morning, who spoke these words, who was there then, who's here this morning. Let's ask him to speak these words. Again to us. Our father your word is precious. And as Mike said it is infallible. And it is inherent. These are your words and we should tremble. I should tremble father. As I take it up this morning. What a dreadful responsibility to speak your word with accuracy and with truth. O oh, Father, give me a righteous reverence, a righteous fear in handling your word. I pray that you would give all of us a righteous fear as we handle the hearing of your word. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us minds that understand. John Sartell cannot teach that way. But you can. And So we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Does Christ Presbyterian have the room for the dirge of John? And for the dance of Jesus. We've studied. John the baptizer. In earlier messages in Luke. The prophets of the Old Testament. Not only spoke of the Messiah. Who was to come. They also spoke of a prophet. Who would come before him. To be his ambassador. The Old Testament prophet said. One like Elijah. Will come before him. That prophet would lead a spiritual revival and prepare the nation for the Messiah's arrival. It was like he was paving a road on which the Messiah would walk. Jesus confirmed that this was John the baptizer. Look at verse 27. This is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. People John led a great awakening in Israel. People came to hear him by the thousands. He was the Elijah of his day. Before Jesus came on the scene, John was the most well-known figure in all of Israel, even better known than Pilate, even better known than Herod, and certainly better liked. Jesus spoke of his fame and then added a supreme compliment when he began to speak to the crowd about John the baptizer. Look at verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Now, that's a compliment. You consider that this is Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah of Israel. How would you like him to say that about you? What a compliment. But then Jesus made An incredible comparison. Look at what he said next. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What in the world did Jesus mean? I don't know about you, but I don't think about myself as being greater than John the Baptizer. What was Jesus thinking? John was the greatest prophet they had ever heard. He was already a legend. How can how can people like us, the ordinary, the least gifted of God's believers be greater than John? You know the answer. It's just this simple. Because you can tell your neighbor more about Jesus than John could in all of his preaching. You are in a more privileged position than John. John did not know about the cross. He didn't know that Messiah would go to be crucified. He he did not know that there would be this incredible resurrection. Resurrection. D.A. Carson, who is a superb, wonderful New Testament scholar in our day, wrote about this. And it's such a great quote that I put it on your scripture sheet. Look at it as I read it. So often Christians want to establish their greatness with reverence to their work, their giving, their intelligence, their preaching, their gifts, their courage. They're But Jesus unhesitatingly affirmed that even the least believer is greater than Moses or John the Baptist because living on this side of the coming of Jesus Messiah, he or she can point to him with greater clarity and understanding than all of his forerunners ever could. If we really believe this truth, It will dissipate all the cheap vying for position and force us to recognize that our true significance lies in our witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was saying John was the great prophet of the Old Testament, yet he did not know the Messiah, a Messiah who was to be crucified. He did not know the Messiah who was to return from the grave. He did not know the greatness of the story, the magnificence of the story. He did not know the ascended Jesus. He did not know the story of the gospel going to every nook and cranny of the entire world. Sometimes we say, I wish I could have been there. Do you realize I mean, think about that. You know more about the story than John the Baptist did. We have seen the gospel bring light to the darkest jungles and the darkest societies. We have seen whole civilizations built on the principles of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. We have seen the gospel go to the ends of the earth. We have seen all of this. John the Baptist. If he were sitting here today. He would say I wish. I wish I had known. What you know. I wish I had had your message. He's risen. He's died for our sins. But. That's not the main point of this passage. As we look at John the Baptist and Jesus. I want us to focus. And this is what Jesus was saying. Focus. On the diversity. Not just the unity, but the diversity between these two men. And that's where we will begin. The great diversity, first on when you to see the great diversity in the unity of God's work. The great diversity in the unity of God's work. Look at verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax gatherers and sinners, John and Jesus, there was a great unity between them. They were part of the same great work. They were Jewish. They lived at the same time. They were actually relatives. They were both ministers, both prophets. Jesus preached that Jesus, or, or excuse me, John preached that Jesus was the Messiah. John priests, or Jesus preached that John was the prophet that was to come before the Messiah. John loved Jesus. Jesus loved John. There was such unity between them that you would have thought these two were like twins. However in their personal everyday lives. Did you ever think about this in their personal everyday lives? There was such diversity that you would have thought they came from different times, different families, different religions and different cultures if you had watched their outward lives. John on one hand, think about it. John was an ascetic who lived who spent most of his time alone in the wilderness fasting His dress was out of the mainstream. No one in Jerusalem dressed like him. No one outside of Jerusalem dressed like him. He did not drink wine. He didn't do lunch with other people. He did not do parties. His preaching was fiery. That exposed the sins Of the world around him. The sins of his culture. Jesus. He was a rabbi. Who loved people. He drank wine. He went to parties. He did lunch. With people from all walks of life. His preaching. Exposed the greatness. Of the grace of God. Look at the difference. Do we ever need to hear this? We so identify Christianity with externals. With with our own look. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. We focus on the externals and we reject people. Who believe like we believe. But on the outside, they, they look different. Look at verse 33. This is what the Pharisees did. You know, they stressed, they, they stressed, they didn't stress. Their faith was not from the inside out, from the heart. The heart that was changed and then that changed the outside. It was, they changed the outside hoping it would change the heart. They reversed what scripture taught. And so there was this emphasis upon the external. Look in verse 33. They said of John, the Pharisees, he does not eat with us and he doesn't drink wine. He has a demon. He doesn't look like us. They looked at Jesus and it was just the opposite. They said Jesus drinks so much wine, he's a drunkard. He goes out and eats with these people. He's a glutton. He eats with sinners. The Pharisees were looking at the external. And externally, John the baptizer and Jesus were quite different in their ministries. And we do the very same thing the Pharisees do. How many times have we looked at some Christians, a Christian brother, and said he's way too strict in his Christian life? You know, he doesn't even have a television. In my first pastorate, Janet and I, uh, in Cedar Bluff, Virginia, uh, the first the first five or six years of her life, Jill did. Our youngest had no television. And people were coming up to me, they were so horrified that Janet and I did not have a television. And we didn't have, it wasn't that we couldn't afford, we could afford one. We couldn't afford much, but we could afford a television. But we wanted to stress reading and creativity and this sort of thing. And people, the Christian people inside our church, They just didn't want to allow, they said, you've got to have a television. It's weird that you don't have a television. We say of someone else, here's a person that lives this extra strict life, and we look at another Christian and we say, I can't believe he calls himself a Christian. I saw him playing cards and drinking with some people that I know are real pagans. They don't realize when they're saying that, that that's exactly how the Pharisees, they, Jesus was eating with pagans and he was drinking wine. This lady that was in our church uh, in, in Virginia uh, was just ironclad. You could not drink wine or any other uh, alcoholic beverage and possibly be a Christian. And I read this passage to her, and I said, "Do you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, He drank wine?" And she looked at me and she said, "Yes, and He shouldn't ought to have done it either." Hey, I mean, that's what you're saying. I mean, it, it's 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 just, it's ludicrous. It's all right if you decide, no, I'm not going to do that. John the Baptist didn't drink. He was like a Nazarite. The Nazarites took vows. Jesus was not a Nazarite. We will say of some Christians, they're way too emotional. They cry a lot when they pray. A certain, you know... Those of us who, who send our children to school, a public school, or to a, a private school, we'll look at other people and say, well, oh, we gotta watch out for them. They homeschool their children. You know that? That's strange. And then certain people that will be homeschool their children say, those people are sending, they're sending their children to public school. we look at we look at some christians in some churches and we say they are too staid in their church they never say you never hear anyone say amen in their church Some of us would say, I hope those folks never come over to our church. They raise their hands sometimes when they worship. We need to understand in the unity, the great unity of the church of Jesus Christ, there is an incredible and beautiful diversity. Folks, what if John the Baptist would have walked in here this morning? Even adjusting to 20th century dress, I can tell you he would not have had on a Brooks Brothers suit. Nor would he have been dressed in Fayette County casual country. I can tell you that John would not drink with you. He would not drink wine. He would not socialize with you. John the Baptist, there was a a friend of, of mine who was on our staff. At independent, And I was always inviting him to lunch. And he would never go. And I finally started calling John the Baptist. I said, you, you don't socialize with anyone. John the Baptist would not be a good addition to your golf foursome. His preaching would be scorching. He began his sermons. How would you like me to start the sermon this morning? You brood of vipers. That's how John preached. He was right. He would preach that fire was going to fall on sin. And he would preach that fire was going to fall on the sin and arrogance of our culture. On the other hand, if Jesus were living here, as he did in the first century, we would have wondered many times about the way he was living. And the people with whom he associates, do you know those people are Jesus? Why, Why are you hanging out with those people? What is the point? Inside the great unity of the church of Jesus Christ, there is a wonderfully huge diversity. Now, let me be very clear. That diversity is not and cannot be in the cardinal doctrines of Scripture. If we're the church of Jesus Christ, we stand together on the cardinal doctrines of Scripture. John stood with Jesus and Jesus stood with John on those issues. So we're not talking about doctrinal differences here. On the cardinal issues. We're talking about the external expressions that the gospel will take in our lives. Secondly, Jesus was saying that the gospel message includes... The dirge. Look at verse 31. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other, we play the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang the dirge and you did not cry. What do those strange words mean? Remember the games you would play and we would play? I don't know what games children play today. I guess they're all uh, techies with their machines, but you know, when we were growing up, we played cowboy. When I was growing up, we played cowboys and Indians. Uh, we played. Uh, we we played like we were the football hero or the baseball hero of the day. Well, in the same way, the children of Jesus' day would gather in the marketplace. They would gather in the agora as their parents worked or shopped there. It was a big gathering place, and sometimes they would play a game that was uh, uh, like they were adults at a party. And sometimes they'd play another game like they were adults at a funeral. They would act like they were having a funeral. Now there would be killjoys who wouldn't want to play like adults at a party and they wouldn't like to play like adults at a funeral. And so the children of that day had developed a rhyme and they teased these other children. They sang, we sang, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang the dirge for you and you did not mourn. We went to the party and you wouldn't play that. We went to the funeral. You didn't do the dance. You didn't do the dirge. Jesus was saying, you did not like John because he did not come to your parties and celebrations. He did not dress like you. He did not live like you. So you were like the children in the marketplace who said, we played the flute and you did not dance. Jesus was saying that John came and his life and preaching were about sin and judgment and warning and repentance. And his preaching was far too serious for you. It was like a dirge. So you said to John, your life and preaching are too serious. You're like a dirge. We like happy music. We like the dance music. Let me tell you, inside the evangelical church today. You can go to some evangelical churches where they say they follow after God's word and you'll never talk about sin. They'll never talk about repentance. And you can sit in those churches all day long and you'll never be convicted about your own personal sin and God's great holiness because that's the way John the Baptist preaches. It's too negative. Jesus was saying, you should have listened to John You needed what he was saying with the sin in your life and the judgment that is coming. You needed some funeral music. You needed to weep over your sin. Look down at verse 35. But wisdom was proved right by all her children. Jesus was saying God's wisdom in creating this diversity. God's wisdom in sending John the Baptist is seen in what was accomplished. If he hadn't come preaching the judgment and preaching about the personal sins of the people and soldiers cried out, John, what should we do when they came out from being baptized? Tax collectors, what should we do? They were convicted of their sin. There wouldn't have been a great revival. He was saying that dirge, that preaching of the conviction of sin is necessary. He said, John, the wisdom and God in doing this was seen in the result. People, we need John the Baptist in Fayette County today in the Mid-South. You should, When it ought to be a prayer. It's my prayer frequently. God, send another Jeremiah. Send another John the Baptist. We need preachers who will preach with that kind of fire. In 1 Peter 4, 17, we read, it's time for judgment to begin out in the world. It doesn't say that. Peter, the apostle, is writing and he says, it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. She needs to be awakened to the danger she's in because of her lackadaisical attitude towards sin. People, there's a time to sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. There's a time to sing, Great is our faithfulness, but there's a time to sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I'm a sinner, and I have no other plea. There's a time to sing, oh, come and mourn with me a while. There's a time to sing, oh, thou hearest when sinners cry. Leonard Ravenhill was a great English evangelist. He titled, he was very creative in his preaching. He was a, a, a charismatic. And one sermon that I heard him preach, the title of it was Preacher Without a Woe Don't You Go. Now, woe for you, old miss people, that doesn't mean to stop a horse. Woe means grief, it means sorrow. The old prophets in Israel would say, Woe to you, Israel, because of your sin, because of your arrogance. Look up the word in your concordance this afternoon. It's all through scripture. Jesus said to the crowds to whom he preached, Woe to you! Abortion, adultery, homosexuality, casual sex, lying, cheating, arrogance, selfish pornography, child pornography. No one's alarmed. Those are just that's normal to our culture. No one's alarmed by these. I was amazed. The former U.S. Senator Daniel Patrick Monaghan, of all people, wrote an essay entitled, Defining Deviancy Down. It's a great article. Look it up on the computer this afternoon. In the article, he said that deviancy had become so normal in our culture that we have dealt with it by defining it down. In other words, what had been deviant in the last generation is now labeled as normal. Has that not happened? And the church is afraid The church is afraid to call sin what the sophisticated world, what our sophisticated culture so readily accepts. I like how coach Eric Russell warned his football players at Georgia Southern about the danger of drugs. He would arrange every year for a couple of boys from the country to burst into a team meeting and they would have a burlap sack and they would throw it out on this big table in the middle and it out would crawl the six-foot-long, hissing, ugly, mean, mad rattlesnake. And those big football players, all you saw were heels and elbows, screaming, cursing, running. And he would get that team back in the room. That rattlesnake curled up. And he said, guys, when drugs are brought into the room, you don't run and scream. You don't curse. He said those drugs, that cocaine, is far more dangerous than that rattlesnake. I like that man. He thought like John the Baptist. That's what we need. Jesus was saying, just like you needed the fiery preaching of judgment from John the Baptist, you also needed the preaching of grace and forgiveness. The preaching, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, the two go together. There's got to be the dirge. You don't have the gospel unless you have the dirge. You don't understand the need for the gospel. And Jesus said, but the dirge always ends at the dance. Look at Psalm 126, one last scripture, Psalm 126, 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The gospel dirge always ends at the dance. Many people want the laughter of grace without the sorrow of sin. That's where the modern evangelical church is. We want the laughter of grace without the sorrow over sin. They want songs of joy without the dirge over sin. That's impossible. We cannot have the laughter unless the tears come first. However, we must be sure that we understand the gospel is good news. And if that sorrow does not end at the dance, if that sorrow does not end with the joy of Jesus, then that's not the gospel either. Sadly, there's too many churches where they think there can never be the laughter. After my father died, my mother would come to town by herself. We tried, I tried to make those visits. We lived at some distance from her and I tried to make those visits an over-the-top experience for her. My children had not been able to spend that time every day or every week with her. So we really partied when she came to town. The problem was that my mother was not a party. her. She was on the John the Baptist side of things. On one particular visit, it was in February, and we were celebrating her birthday that was to take place while she was there. We really went over the top. I took the family to a superb restaurant. She wanted, I'd ask her, I said, now, what do you want tonight? I want a steak. Well, she did not anticipate the restaurant, and the steaks in this restaurant were really, really expensive. And I watched her, and it was so funny. She tried to change her order to something less expensive, and I would not let her. In fact, I ordered the most expensive steak on the menu just for her. This was a celebration. We had a wonderful time. There was much laughter. The meal lasted several hours. The next morning, she came downstairs. And I I knew what she was going to do. She came downstairs, and I was laughing. And I said, Mom, didn't we have a great time last night? It was just awesome. Glad you were here. And she looked at me. She was so serious. She said, John, I feel so guilty. I said, why? She said, you spent so much money. We could have done something else with that. She just could not understand. There's a time for Christians to revel in God's creation. Folks, no one should revel in God's creation more than we do, cause He's our Father, and He gave us this, and He gave us His own Son. Even. Well, I called my daughter Jill. We were uh, who was who was not there. I, I called her about our experience. And Jill's response was immediate and perfect. She laughed and she said, Dad, when Mom Mary gets to heaven, God's extravagance will blow her away. Oh, dear folks. I pray, I pray there will always be room at Christ Presbyterian for the dirge. And I pray there will always be room. For the dance. Amen. Our hymn is most appropriate. When I survey the wondrous cross.